Night Talk with Oliver Dixon. Look, if you still want to comment on the conversation we had just had, uh, you will have an opportunity to do so after 11 p.m. when we will be having our open line. So do keep those calls coming in on 086-000-2032. We're taking your voice notes, and I do see a few of them. We'll get to them on the other side of 11 o'clock on 0614-104-107. Stephanie Fick, Advocate Stephanie Fick, the Executive Director uh, of the Accountability Division at Outer, uh, is with us. What impact has the national state of disaster had on South African hospitals? That is part of the conversation we're having right now. Stephanie, good evening and thank you so much for your time. I really, really do appreciate it. The pretext under which President Ramaphosa introduced a national state of disaster to deal with electricity was, amongst other things, to exempt certain institutions, vulnerable institutions, from the impact and effect of load shedding, one of which was hospitals. Outer opposed the national state of disaster and made court applications to that effect. Was there any consideration, Stephanie, with an outer and its uh, and its and within its court applications, around the importance of attempting to exempt uh, hospitals from load shedding, or was it the case that we didn't need a national state of disaster to be able to do that? Um, good evening, and thank you so much for having me and, and having this conversation, because I think it is important to make it clear that your law statement is correct. You don't need a state of disaster in order to consider any exemption from, from load shedding. Now, obviously, that is um, not, you know, it's not an easy question to, to answer in the sense that although we, you know, hospitals are important institutions yeah. and, um, you know, they should ideally be exempt. Now, there are a few hospitals that's already exempt even before the national state of disaster. Sure. So it's a question of asking for the exemption. But you also need to consider that, you know, electricity short shortage is one thing, but what if there's an electricity problem? We saw... You know, um, um, yesterday the the pylons that collapsed uh, collapsed, and that's something that happens. That's a reality sure. in South Africa. What does a hospital do then? So, you know, in our preparation for our supplementary affidavit, in other words, an answer to the record that was provided by the by the state, why they decided on the state of disaster, it is quite clear that you know any institution can ask for an exemption from ESCOM. ESCOM then needs to decide who it exempts and who not, because you can also imagine not everybody can be exempt. I mean, wouldn't it be lovely if me, you know, every household that's got a problem or a small child, for example, I have so much um, respect for people that can, despite loading and all of that, still get children into, you know, into the bed and get their bath and all of that. Uh, um, but, you know, that there is a process to ask for an exemption despite a, a state of disaster. So yeah. if that but answers your question, there's that enough leaves, legislation. Yeah, that leaves all of the discretionary power about who can be granted an exemption within the ambit of ESCOM, which yes. perhaps may not be the most suitable body to be able to make that decision, right? Because ESCOM really makes only calculations of demand and supply and yes. constraint. ESCOM doesn't make <laughs> calculations around social importance and social impact, and perhaps very specifically so around the access to healthcare, uh, because yeah. that seems uh, seemingly beyond its engineering calculations, right? Should, yeah, that, should that discretionary power then not be shifted away from ESCOM to another state actor, or potentially 
just be warranted as a blanket exemption by some legislative or administrative decree, such as a state of disaster? You don't need a state of disaster. So, um, you know, in, in order to, let's, let's, uh, let's uh, you know, for one minute, say that there should be another body. Like NERSA um, is sort of the regulator. It sure. licenses to distribute and that there's, there's a different um, organ of state. And if you can pull that off, it, it might be a good idea because it's always, you know, um, separ- separate the, the organ from the, from the body that's going to regulate that organ. I don't think we were quite successful in South Africa, but be that as it may. Um, the, the, the problem is, or, or, or then the reality would be that there would be legislation in order to regulate that body. Yeah. So again, you will not need a state of disaster in order to make sure that that body looks after the institutions, households, hospitals, etc. that needs um, an exemption. Just remember, and I have to say this, there's also a duty on hospitals to make sure that there's alternative energy supply. For example, in the event that there is a problem. Now, we all know that, unfortunately, the health system in South Africa is in trouble. But that's not due to load shedding. That is um, probably due to, you know, just mismanagement of funds. Um, I think it's it's horrible that, you know, we can't provide proper health care to, to, to the citizens of South Africa or anybody yeah. that needs urgent well, care. Well, I mean, if I'm a hospital CEO and I have amongst my mandates and KPIs uh, ensuring that I have uh, mm. enough backup electricity should there yes. be some sort of emergency, hell, I can survive stage two and maybe even stage four load shedding. But once we get up to stage six, that's really beyond me, right? Um, and so hospitals have been trying as best as they possibly could to be running generators. But even that has limitations. Um, and so the question of the impact of load shedding on hospitals still remains beyond that because we know that load shedding in South Africa is not just uh, a, a mild stage two experience, right? It can get as volatile uh, and, 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 and aggressive as stage six. And as we now know, we've experienced stage eight load shedding at some point unknowingly. But that as uh, that uh, uh, is but only one element to the conversation, Stephanie. There really also then is the other question, is that if we don't need a national state of disaster to be able to ensure that hospitals are exempted, what policy framework or legal statute empowers the state to currently exempt hospitals from low shedding? You mentioned earlier that hospitals can just ask ESCOM for an exemption. I, I showed you that there's a limitation to that, um, in that ESCO may not be the right body. So what does the right framework actually look like? Well, I think it's, about, it's, it's again, um, and you've mentioned this, there is a, you know, is this an emotional decision or is this a more objective decision? So if you look at the current state of the amount of electricity available, I think one can appreciate that the reason why there's load shedding is that you know, not everybody, every institution can be exempted. So I'm going to take a little bit of roundabout to answer you. I, I think that there's obviously a duty on ESCOM to get their house in order. Um, I mean, we are so sure. happy if there's a, a stage two load shedding, but we shouldn't have load shedding. So on the one hand, we are now dealt with this problem. And hopefully, um, you know, government, if I may, I, I actually want to say hi- hide behind or hit behind the whole 
state of disaster and we needed the state of disaster, what actually we need is implementation. There's a plan. We need more, um, you know, we need more electricity available. Sure. We need IPPs, etc. So on the one hand, unfortunately, we were dealt with this because of corruption, state capture, whatever you want to call it, the wrong people in the positions. That needs to, that's a reality. We need to change that. So we need to um, mitigate the risks as much as possible. But obviously, we won't be able to mitigate all risks. Mm. So that's why I'm saying, although you can, you, you can sort of state that, yes, ESCOM must deal with, um, on, a, on a case-to-case basis, um, you know, who can be exempted and not. That's, uh, that's sort of there, um, you know, with the communication as to how does state one, two, three, four, five work. But there's also then a duty, I think, on the health and on hospitals to make sure that they do have electricity available. And it's not, I think it is about thinking how to resolve our electricity crisis while ESCOM is struggling. Yes, it's not our fault, but that's the situation we dealt with. So to look at, make sure that you have enough electricity, for example, emergency situation. Save electricity by changing all the light bulbs in, for example, a hospital sure. to LED and electricity saving. And, and I think if you apply all the sort of um, suggestions to save electricity, that I think that from government's point of view, um, if you uh, take off all the um, you know buildings and stuff that is still using electricity, but there's no one in there, there's so many empty buildings, if you, if you work all of that into the equation of we, we need more electricity, that there might just be more electricity available. Yeah. But I mean, demand management can only take us so far, right? The yeah. problem is a lot more fundamental than managing demand um, or at least, uh, you know, trying to block spillage. Uh, and wastage as far as demand is concerned. Joel, I want to introduce you into the conversation. Joel Mplongo is a member of the National Working Group uh, for Right to Know. Uh, and Joel, there really is a constitutional question to be asked about uh, the right to access, a fundamental right we have to access uh, health care. And millions of South Africans have either had that right compromised or completely taken away from them as a result of load shedding. Does that not, given how grave that consideration is, does that not warrant extraordinary action? And does a national state of disaster not fall into the ambit of what we would consider extraordinary action? Good evening, and thank you for having me on your show. Um, I think it's important for for all of us to understand the fact that um, hospitals um, need electricity. And just briefly, in a survey that was done in the U.S. in 2003, it did show that um, both accidental and non-accidental death, um, um, 28% of it were recorded in in U.S. as a result of uh, mass power outages. So the fact that we have got private sector and public uh, sector, which of course the private sector, it's, um, it's, um, it's well taken care of, but yeah. we cannot say the same with our public hospital says a lot. However, there's two, um, briefly, three sections that I wanted to deal with in terms of your question. The first section that we have is 26 b of the Disaster Management Act, 
which makes it clear that national executive must deal with national disaster in terms of existing legislation and uh, contingency arrangement. It also um, indicates that a state of emergency in terms declared in terms of section 37 of the constitution uh, cannot allow the use of regulation and direction provided by it in terms of national state of disaster to take shortcuts to existing legislations that we have. We also have section 16.1 of the Public Finance Management Act, which allows the Minister of Finance to authorize additional expenditure, which cannot without serious prejudice to public interest be postponed to a future parliamentary appropriation of funds. Having said that, we also have Section 3 of the Preferential Procurement Act, which allows the Minister of Finance to exempt an organ of state such as ESCO from the provisions of the Act if it is in the public interest to do so. The question that needs to be asked is, why the national state of disaster? When we have got provisions um, that allows for any action that could be taken to assist in terms of the um, 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 resolving of the issue of, electric, um, of electricity crisis. Obviously, the legislation allows for it, but for some reasons, like the previous speaker has said, the decisions that were taken were taken in terms of desperation instead of measures that could be able to resolve the issue at hand. Would you give serious consideration to the idea that while these legislatures legislation exists for us to take extraordinary action or special action, uh, it's important to be able to streamline them all and a national state of disaster, if correctly gazetted, will allow us to streamline these things to make it more accessible and more efficient. I want you to give a consideration to that, Joel. But before you do, I want us to take a quick break. Give us a call. The number to dial is 086-000-2032. You are listening to Oliver Dixon on the Station of the Year. This is Night Talk. I'm in conversation with Advocate Stephanie Fick, who's the Executive Director of the Accountability Division of AUTA. I'm also joined by Joel Mklongo. Who's part? Who's a member of the National Working Group for Right to Know? Joe, streamlining them and making them more accessible, making them uh, more functional and cooperative, given that COCTA is at the center of a state of disaster, will assist us in acting with speed and agility. Part of the argument the president makes. How much consideration do you give to that? Um. Well, the the argument makes sense. However, what is important is whether. Um, um, is it provided by the current legislation? The answer is yes. So if it is provided by the current legislation, why do we have to give consideration that to, uh, to something that has already been provided by our current legislation? Then what is the downside? If you're saying, ow, oh, but Mr. President, you're enacting a thing that currently already is possible, surely there's nothing lost by enacting the thing? I think I think what is what is important is um, there's a difference between doing something and to be seen to be doing something, and I think in all honesty, um, the issue of electricity uh, crisis that uh, has been with us for the last fifteen years fifteen years um, has been an echelon to 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 our state, and to be honest. If, 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 like the previous speaker has indicated, if the states wants to deal with this issue, um, um, honestly, 
it can be able to resolve it with with all the current legislations that we have. The only thing that is required is the political will. And that has not been shown that right. there is a political will for it to be resolved. Right. Stephanie, is there a lack of political will? Yes. I think, and I agree wholeheartedly with um, uh, uh, with, with my, my learned friend in, in, in the sense that this crisis has been coming since 1998. Now, we know that Madupi and Kusili was built in the meantime, but unfortunately that was also plagued with, with corruption. So the energy crisis, and that's why there's no simple solution to this energy crisis. There's medium-term and long-term solutions. But, you know, we will never get to long-term solutions, although that, you know, sounds like it's very far, if we don't start implementing. And um, I really think that there was a lack of, implementation of plans on the table and, 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 and political interference, that there was political interference in ESCOM. There was this, um, you know, reluctance to take and hold to account the people responsible. I mean, how many of the people responsible for the corruption at ESCOM has been held accountable? I mean, yeah. um, um, COCO is, is, is standing trial, but, you know, there was, and they full. I think there's still individuals in ESCOM that um, you know are, are, are responsible for a lot of the things that is going wrong. So, um, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I think it is. We were so stuck in in coal. Now we can have a whole coal discussion. IPPs, whether solar, wind, um, is is that the solution? The the, the it, I think the end game is we need a solution to our electricity crisis. Yeah. And it can't take us this long to implement plans in order to to save ESCOM financially and to give electricity to the people. Joel, it's going to take a while before we are able to get ESCOM right, right? At least 10 years if we're giving it an ambitious uh, estimate over there. What are hospital CEOs and MECs of health in provinces meant to be doing in the interim? Can I be in uh, a, and, 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 so, uh, Sorry, just, Stephanie, can I just give Joel an opportunity there, and I'll sure. give you the last uh, word on sorry. that? Yes, of course, of course. No, it's, it's, thank you. It's difficult to say because the, the plans are not clear. One could not tell um, currently with uh, Minister Pravin Godan, Minister Mantashe, uh, Minister uh, uh, of Electricity on who is going to do what. It's actually not clear. So I think um, as soon as we are able to understand um, who is going to do what, we can be able to see whether the issue will be able to be dealt with um, expeditiously. But for now, it's just um, hope and wait. Right. Stephanie, you wanted to have a go at that? Yes, I just wanted to say that let's just for one minute um, accept that electricity is a big problem in our hospitals. But I think we have other problems. I think healthcare is just generally, um, um, you know, down in the dumps. How many people have got access to proper healthcare? I'm, I'm, I'm talking about you don't have to sit in the queue in order to, you know, to get proper healthcare. Yeah. There's various problems. Electricity is but one facet of this problem. And I think if we, again, if there is a will to make sure that money um, you know, that the fiscus, that uh, proper uh, an amount of monies are provided for proper health care. And then that for, uh, especially state hospitals 
um, utilize the funds in the best interest of not people and their private interests, yeah. but in the interest of communities. Um, in getting uh, Stephanie, houses. assuming good faith action on part of hospitals, it sure would help them a hell of a lot if they don't have to spend millions of rands on diesel and could otherwise use that to procure medication or pay uh, nurses. I hear you, but I think that if we live in a perfect world, I think that um, they generally struggle in order to obtain enough money. I always say, can I just say this? I always say that I think we have enough money in the fiscus. I, 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 I sort of want people to disagree with me. It is how we spend the money that we have problems with. If we curb the amount of corruption in healthcare, we will have enough money for, for diesel yeah. and for proper health care. Yeah. Stephanie Fick, thank you so much for your time this evening. I really, really do appreciate it. Stephanie Fick, oh, yeah, uh, an advocate who's the executive director of the accountability division of Outer Julem Tlongo. He's a member of the National Working Group of Right to Know. What are your thoughts on this conversation? I'd love to hear from you this evening. Give us a call. The number to dial is 86 2032 I'm also taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 0614 We're going to take a quick break, and on the other side of the break, we will then begin the open line. And the open line is quite simply your hour. You get to express and say anything that is on your mind. Is there a question that's bothering you? that perhaps you've been pontificating over the entire day? Is there an unresolved thought and idea that you may have that you perhaps want South Africans to help you? Is there something you want to celebrate, something you want to lament? Is there perhaps a difficult question you want to ask or just a really deeply controversial or perhaps even a very plain point you want to make? It's all yours, and you get to set the agenda. You get to be the media for the hour. Give us a call, 86 It's 11 o'clock. Greg Coase has your news.